You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven, so that you may show the family resemblance. Right? Uh, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, they do the same. Therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we're told in there twice, because, so you shall be sons of your, or children of your heavenly Father, because your Father is like this, be like this. And that's the reason for showing this love to our enemies. And I, I want to start out with this because you, you, when we come out of verse 38 and 39, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, don't resist an evil person. And then he comes down to your enemies. You go, isn't this the same thing repeated twice over? And, and no, it's not because we're looking at a matter of degree. The, the verses 38 through 42 where it says, you know, don't, don't resist the evil person, that is the person who is uh, taking advantage of an opportunity. But when we start, we get here, we're looking at the person who is your enemy. They are deliberately, intentionally coming after you. It's not that you happen to be the guy nearby that they can victimize, but that they, are, they have a, a vendetta against you. They're out to hurt you. They desire you harm. And, and there's a difference between the two. This, this has gone, in, it has increased the intensity or, or the, the opposition uh, of who we're facing. <clears throat> so he says... You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So following the pattern we're going, let's go and look a little bit at what you have heard uh, about, about this, loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. Leviticus 19, 17, and 18. So Leviticus, the same one with all the laws, uh, and you think of all the legalism and everything that comes in the book of Leviticus. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, it tells us to love our neighbors. And so I'm in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 through 18. He says, you shall not hate your fellow countryman in your heart. You may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur uh, sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And if you read the book of Leviticus, I forget how many times, it's, it's, it's like 40 or 50 times through the book of Leviticus, you hear that phrase, I am the Lord. And what God is saying is, because you are my people, that's, that's the reason for doing it, I am the Lord. And in, in Matthew, Jesus says, because he is your father, which is a much closer way to put it. But, but you see the rule, he says, he says do not hate your neighbor. And, and he says specifically, he doesn't say neighbor, he says countryman right? Uh, you shall not do injustice, I'm sorry, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart, but uh, you may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur violence because of him. And he defines the word neighbor, the, the context defines the word neighbor as countrymen or countrymen as neighbor. And, and it kind of jumps us forward if we want to. Uh, he, he does this for us. Uh, the sons, we, we have the, these words in the ver these verses, countrymen, neighbor, sons of your people. All three are used. And he is defining neighbors as your people or your countrymen. And, and it seems to be a syn syn synonymous <laughs> uh, describing who they were not to hate in these words, describing the same people in different ways. And it takes me to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because the, good Samaritan, the Torah story of the Good Samaritan was prompted by a lawyer asking Jesus, because Jesus says, love your neighbor, and, and the lawyer asked him, well, who is my neighbor? 
And so when Jesus answers the question, here's a twist on this you may never have heard before, uh, because uh, when he says uh, that he might, the, the lawyer would very well have expected Jesus to start describing the Jewish people. Going back to the same context of where this was given, love, you, you can you know, love your countrymen. Don't, you can rebuke your countrymen. Don't, you don't have to pretend he's doing right if he's doing wrong. You can rebuke him, but you can't take vengeance on him. He's, your fellow, he's the son of your people. He's your fellow neighbor, uh, your, your fellow people. So you can't love, uh, hate him. And so he could have easily expected Jesus to define his neighbor as Jews. It's another reason why Jesus went and used a Samaritan as the good guy in the story to define, because at the end he says, who was a neighbor to the man, the injured man? Well, the one who helped him. That's right, the Samaritan, the one who is beyond your people. And what is Jesus doing in this passage? He is taking it beyond what they have heard. They have heard by, by implication. By the way, the, the phrase, you, may, you know, it says you may love your neighbor and hate your enemies. The hate your enemy is not found anywhere in Scripture. It simply is not there. You can look for it. You will not find it. Nowhere is in Scripture does it give you permission to hate your neighbor, your, I mean your enemy, <laughs> or your neighbor. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's simply not there. But they were taking uh, the implication of that when he says, says you can't hate your countrymen, you can't hate your neighbor. You can't hate the sons of your people. It's like, ah, but we have permission to hate others. And they're reading something into it that's not actually there. right? I, and I can see how you could do that. And, and you could take that as a permission if you wanted to, if that was your goal, saying, but at least I get to hate other people. What a privilege. <laughs> I, I can't hate you people. Sorry, you're part of this church, so I can't hate you. But I get to hate the other people. <laughs> you know, it's like, ha, ha, what kind of, what's some, there's something wrong with me. They didn't seem to see that because they thought it was OK. Uh, but, but what they have heard appears to go beyond what Scripture actually said. And it may have very well been a common saying of that day. We don't know that. We don't know where they heard that or why they heard that or for how long they heard it, but it seems to be something that they truly had heard. And so by per what that would do is give them permission to hate people like Samaritans. It would certainly give them permission to hate people like Romans, right, the occupying armies. And Jesus says, yeah, no, you're actually not allowed to hate anybody. I tell you, love your enemies. Don't just hate your, love your, your neighbors, but love your enemies. These people probably had a common teaching of, of loving your neighbors and hating your enemies. And because of that, they assumed it was scriptural. Now, there's just, a, I'm just going to go real quick on a small side rabbit trail on this, is a lot of times we hear things repeated in Christianity that we start to assume are biblical, uh, check it out. Do that work. I mean, we have, we have all sorts of tools. You know, I have this cool thing here. I can check it out in, in, in two minutes, right? And if I'm not sure, I can check it out in the King James or the ESV or the NASB or the NIV or the Living or the, uh, you know, whatever I want to because this, is, this thing is so much smarter than I am. <laughs> I wish I could figure it out, uh, you know. It's... But they accepted it as true because they had heard it. And, in fact, it wasn't true. Uh, they were going beyond what Scripture actually said. So, he said. so that's what they have heard about love and hate. And so Jesus says, instead, love even your enemies. Okay, now, enemies, some of you, when I say enemies, and I describe an enemy as someone who is specifically out to get you, uh, specifically has your number or seems to be wanting to, to cause trouble for you, you may have a particular person that's immediately in your mind. And you go, yes. I have an enemy, but honestly, I don't think most of us really relate much to enemies. I, 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 don't, I don't know of any enemies who are out to get me. I, I don't know of, of, of anything like that. In, in America, we tend to not have that, at least not capital E 
enemies. Uh, and you might. We, we, we're more likely to have rivals. We might have opponents. We might have competitors. But, but uh, they're, they're not really enemies. They, you know, we may be competing for something or, or against each other in something. But at the same time, we're, we don't walk around finding ways to do evil or harm to each other. Uh, and we tend to think if we have an enemy, it's a sign of moral failure. Uh, but Jesus clarifies it a little bit because he says, uh, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so an enemy is not necessarily an enemy of your choosing. It is someone who has chosen on their part to be your enemy. They persecute you. And again, in America, we're mostly pretty safe from that. But guess what we find in a lot of the world today? And what someday we will expect find, find in America is persecution for being a believer. And, and uh, we find that happening. He clarifies this who the enemy is. It doesn't have to be someone we choose to make an enemy of. It's someone who chooses to make an enemy of us. Whether we are out to hurt them, they are out to hurt us. Now, you know, the, the typical enemy, you have the Hatfields and McCoys, and they're both shooting at each other. And you figure they must be bad shots because they haven't wiped each other out. Uh, if they were the great shots they were supposed to be, that would have happened by now. Uh, but, but an enemy doesn't have to be two mutual enemies. It can be one who is an enemy of the other. And it takes us back, all the way back, in my book, a page and a half, right, um, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And some of them hate you for righteousness' sake, and some of them hate you for Jesus' sake. And, and you know, frankly, we're a week before elections. I will be so glad when they're over. And I don't have to, you know, if I'm watching the news, hear ads talking about the bad guys who are me, <laughs> you know, because they, they, they are. They're, they're attacking, you know, the things we, uh, as, as godly people, stand for and say that's right, and they're attacking them as evil and bad. And, and for our part, now, they, they, if they want to see us as enemies, that's their business. We do not have the right to see them as enemies. We do not have the right to hate them. Right? Uh, we, it, it's simply something we are not given. Uh, we, must, we must stand firm in righteousness. Uh, we must stand on the opposite side. Right? If there is a cause where this is righteous and the other one is unrighteous, we must stand for what is right. We must. Right? It's not, it's not it's, it's no, we must. We must stand for what is right. And if that causes people to see us as enemies, then so be it. We are persecuted. Well, it says persecuted. We generally, again, aren't persecuted. Maybe they'll let out a map with our houses as dots or something. Who knows? They do all sorts of things nowadays. Uh, but but uh, we're, we're not persecuted for our stand. We're, we're opposed uh, for the most part. Uh, so be it. We, we must stand for what is right. We must stand for Jesus Christ. If someone hates Christians, then so be it. You hate Christians, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to pretend I'm not a Christian or not be a Christian to, to make you happier or so that I don't have an enemy. Sometimes we, it is better to have enemies, right, than to pretend everything's fine, right? You're not seeking to make enemies. You're seeking to stand for the truth. You're seeking to stand for Christ. And for our part, we do not get to hate them. 
regardless of how they feel about us and regardless of what they do to us. We're, we're not allowed to do that. Now, if it makes you feel better, the word used here for, for love is agape, not phileo. Right? There's, there's two, two words in the Greek used for love. One is agape, and that's, that's the high, awesome love that's always perfect. Phileo is brotherly love. And I, I, I'm not going to describe brotherly love as perfect. Because <laughs> you have, have, who here's had a brother? You know, the, the way I define brotherly love is the brother is the guy you can beat up, but nobody else better touch, you know, <laughs> because then you're caught asking for trouble. That's brotherly love. Is, is only I get to beat up my brother. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. And some of you don't have brothers, you don't understand that. I'm sorry. Uh, but the rest of us, we know exactly how that works. Uh, it's, it's, phileo it's not phileo love, meaning here's what, what I do with that is we don't necessarily have to like them. We don't have to be friends with them, right? When you feel phileo love for someone, you are friendly with them. They're your friends. We don't have to be friends with these people, but we have to love them. In other words, we have to look out for their best. We have to do what we can to help them. We have to want what's best for them. But we don't have to like them. That's okay. No, there's no place in the Bible that says you have to like everybody. And some of you are going, oh, that's nice. I'm, thank you for saying that. Right? It's just some things you just want to know. Uh, it, we, we, we don't have to be their friends. It may be, this may be one of the best passages for understanding the difference between those two words. Because we're not allowed to hate them. You know, if we see them suffering, and we'll, we'll get into this as we go through here, uh, what does it mean to love them? Well, well, we'll look at that. It's like take care of them the way you would take care of someone you, that you know and do like. If you see them in trouble, you see them with a need. Uh, you, you get to do those things, but we don't wish them harm. We want what's best for them. Uh, we even pray for them, uh, even while they are opposing us. We don't have to like them or act like they're our friends. And he says, pray for those who persecute you. And this is what the martyrs are known for. I mean, read, read the... the, the, the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with the Voice of the Martyrs, we have some magazines in our library. Uh, they're, they're mostly older ones, but we get it every month, and I usually set it on the table back there. Uh, read the Voice of the Martyrs, and you read story after story after story of people who are, they're not all martyrs that have been killed. Uh, many of them are living, but they're persecuted, and we find consistently they're praying for their persecutors. This is the mark of a martyr. This was the mark we find in Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verses uh, 59 to 60. Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin. It's a long chapter. And when we get to the end of it, Stephen is finishing up. And the guys are absolutely ticked at him. right? And they take him out and they kill him. Here's what it says. Now when they heard this, they were infuriated and they began gnashing their teeth at him. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they shouted with loud voices, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one mind. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. And fall asleep, metaphor, he died. Right? He died. Uh, his last words are, do not hold this sin against them. Right? Uh, it, this is what the martyrs do. It's what Stephen did. It's what Jesus did at the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. He's, he's there. It was our scripture reading today. Uh, they nail him to the cross. They're nailing these other guys beside him. They're starting to gamble for his clothes. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
And I don't know if he's saying that because the Romans were just, you know, the tools, or if he's saying it's for, for the people who, uh, it makes sense to me, honestly, that he was saying it for everybody involved in the process of having him crucified. Had they realized what they were doing, they would not have done it. And, and they should have realized. The evidence was all there. They should have believed what they heard with their ears and saw with their eyes and, and thought with their minds. They should have believed the things they saw. They should have believed the scripture that, that showed it all had to happen. But they were, you know, were, were willingly ignorant. Uh, they should have believed, but he st still says they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And that is what Jesus Christ did. This is what Christians do. This is what at least we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to hate anybody. We're not supposed to wish evil on anybody. We are supposed to pray for them who persecute us and, 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 and are against us and opposed to us. And if Christians do this when they're being put to death, should we not do that while we're still alive? <laughs> you know, while we're alive and healthy. And, and, and maybe it's costing us in some other way. So he says, pray for them. Pray for them who spitefully... Let's get back to, to my Matthew 5. or Ma Yeah, Matthew 5. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, what do you pray for them? What is it you pray for them? Pray for, first of all, I think you pray for their salvation. Lord, open their eyes that they can see. Because if anybody has just seen firsthand a faithful testimony of Jesus Christ, a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, it's the guy who put to death the person who would not deny Christ. Because... I, I, I can't say this with absolute certainty, but I'm going to say it as if it's absolutely true. No one was ever killed for recanting Christ, right? Nobody was ever killed for saying, okay, I don't believe in Christ. In other words, all, you had to, all they had to do was save, to save their lives was say, okay, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. That's all they had to do. But they didn't. And they died. And these people who put them to death, <laughs> they know that. They know all this guy. You can just see him going, going to the bar afterwards. All he had to do was deny Christ. What an idiot. I didn't even want to kill him. He made me kill him because he wouldn't deny Christ. What a moron. You can just hear him ranting about these dumb Christians who won't recant, who won't say, I don't believe in Christ. It's their fault they were killed. I didn't want to kill him. You can just hear it. I mean, I don't actually go to bars and listen to these things, but you, know, you, you, you can see how it works. So pray for their salvation. Pray for their insight. You know what? Pray for their health. You know, I, I can see, you know, the guy's pounding nails. And I can see you have a cold. Can I pray for that? <laughs> I don't know what that would do to the guy. He'd probably, whatever. You know, anything you would pray, because what are we supposed to do? Listen to this. Listen to what he says. Um, but I say, love you. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that may, you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, just so you know, both the sun and the rain are good things. Right? And he gives out sun to the good and the evil just the same. He doesn't say, well, I like this farmer, but I don't like that one, so I'm going to put sun him and clouds are going to block him but they're not going to rain but I'm going to give him rain you know he gives everybody the same he treats them the same he blesses in, in, in many ways now there are ways by the way that there's absolutely a difference and we receive greater blessings for being a child of Christ but but many of those blessings he gives to the evil is just as well as to the good and he is our father in heaven and he is the model we're supposed to follow so the things you pray for your persecutors pray for the same things you would pray 
your loved ones. You go, wow, you're asking an awful lot there. Yeah, I know. I know, but it, I think it's not me. I think that's what this is saying, right? Because I wouldn't say that on my own. I know what I'd say. I'm not going to say because <laughs> it's not very good. You don't pray for them because it's good for you, by the way. Because all sorts of people will say, well, it's psychologically good for you. It makes you feel better. And you know what? I'm one of those all sorts of people. But I'm not saying it because it's psychologically good for you. I'm saying it also is psychologically good for you. <laughs> you will feel, when you pray for that person who hates you and persecutes you and wants to do you harm, you will feel better. And it just makes sense you would because you are relieved of a burden you should not be bearing. And you are relieved. Hate is a terrible thing. Bitterness is a horrible thing. And until you forgive this person, you are carrying these things around. Until you are actively praying for him, you are, you are carrying these things around. But once you do that, you are not. And, and, and that's the psychological side of it. But there's this whole other side of it because God is real. And, and it's, it's not just psychology and it's not just emotional or something like that. But God is actually blessing you. Right? What do you say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Right? And blessing is more than just a psychological health and well-being. It is God working actively on your benefit. So pray for them. And I guarantee you it's good for you to pray for them, but that's not your reason. Just know you get a perk. <laughs> there are perks to it. And then he says, and this is the bulk of it, so you can prove you are children of God, and you demonstrate the family resemblance when you forgive your neighbor, when you love your neighbor, when you, or not your neighbor, your enemy, when you pray for them. Right? God is indiscriminately good. You know the song Reckless Love? I hear all sorts of complaints about the song Reckless Love because God is not reckless. Right? Reckless means without reckoning. It doesn't mean perfect driving record. Right? But, but without reckoning. Well, God reckons it all out. God is not doing things foolishness. But it sure looks reckless, doesn't it? When you are indiscriminately good towards everybody. That looks like, you know, you could have thought this out better. There's a more efficient use of your resources. Right? Uh, it, it looks that way, but it's not. It's you're not wasting your time figuring who is worthy of your love or who is good enough for you to be good towards. It is, it is indiscriminate. And in many ways, he treats his enemies as well as his friends. Not all. There are things he does for his children that he, he doesn't do for the others. But, but uh, he's got our father. He's got our father. And we are to demonstrate that family resemblance. And loving each other is not enough. And I want to tell you, when I, I, I cringe over that statement because loving each other is huge. Loving each other, lo lo loving other Christians, loving the brethren within the body is a big thing. It is an important thing. Uh, some, some, love one, some love one another passages, the best of all, I think, is John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus is, is the night before, or the evening before crucifixion, and he's speaking to his disciples. And everything he says has a special emphasis because of that. He knows he's being arrested that night. He knows he's being crucified tomorrow. And he says this to his disciples, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love for one another is not a small thing. Right? When he says, big deal if you love one another, he's not saying don't love one another. 
Love for one another is it's, it's to be the mark of the Christian, that we love the body of Christ, right? So imagine, and you can go, and some, sometimes it's hard, to, you know, I'm not sure I do. I'm not sure I, I, I do love the body of Christ. There's some people here that, yeah, or, or something like that. But, you know, and I don't encourage anybody to try this out just to believe it because I don't want you to do it. But go away for a couple of weeks. And then come back. And, and see if you can't, don't find yourself thinking, I've missed this. Right? And by, by I've missed this, I'm not talking about you've missed me standing up here and ranting about something. <laughs> but you've missed the fellowship. You've missed the people. You've wanted this. This was lacking from your life, and it is so good to have it again. What is that a demonstration of? You love the body. There's, some, there's a blessing in this. You, you, you may not use the word love for it, because it's not a word we like to use, but it's love one another. First Peter chapter 1, and I, just, I go to First Peter just mostly because it's someone else, because John has the most and best passages. But First Peter 1.22 uh, says this, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. 1 John 4, 7 to 12. I'm just going to this. This is the last one. 1 John 4, 7 to 12. Love for one another is a measuring stick of our love for God. Do not think... Your words, I love God, mean anything if you don't love the brothers, if we don't love one another. Why should I say something like that? How can I get away with it? 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. By this the love of God was revealed to us, that God has sent His only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son uh, to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And get this, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is perfected in us. In other words, God you haven't seen, but you see one another. And we are God's children. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> right? And... and, and uh, Everybody got a brother or sister? Raise your hand. Okay. Sometimes, do you not like one of your brothers or sisters? <laughs> okay, Samuel's honest. <laughs> the rest of you are liars. <laughs> but we love them. Right? It never goes away. And love for one another is a measuring stick of our love for God. How can you say you've loved him whom you have not seen if you can't love him whom you have seen? Right? That's what he says. So what does this love look like? Uh, you know what? It, it, it looks like helping each other. We're not talking about guys running around gushing over each other. Right? And, and yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh. Yeah. We're talking about helping each other, getting along with one another, disagreeing well. One of the greatest, you know, we have our annual business meeting coming up in three weeks. One of the greatest compliments we ever got as a church was when a newcomer stayed for the annual business meeting and we had some issue that we were disagreeing on. 
And, and the conversation, by the way, the best annual, people say, I don't want to go to the annual business meeting, it's boring. That's the best kind of annual business meeting. <laughs> Means nothing bad happened. Okay, but, but this, was not, this one was not an especially boring meeting, but it was long because I don't remember what, what the issue was. Uh, and and uh, you know how these issues are. Maybe it wasn't even a big, big deal. But this person came up to me afterwards and said, you people even disagree well. well. You know what? That is what brotherly love looks like. That is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. That not, not that we agree on everything. You know, some of us occasionally are wrong. <laughs> but that we do these things. Loving each other is important. It's a big deal. But then we, he says, so big deal, other people do that. Uh, and, and he starts out with this, he's, he, it's interesting that it's in the book of Matthew that he says, he starts with the illustration of tax collectors. Uh, because Matthew is what? Tax collector. Tax collector. So, so he says, uh, uh, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? Now if we go uh, two chapters, three chapters to the right, uh, let's see, what chapter is it? Um, Matthew 9, th four chapters to the right. Matthew 9, we find Matthew called, right? Verse 9, as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. And you know where he followed him to? You know where Matthew first followed Jesus to? To Matthew's house. <laughs> in, in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew, uh, Mark and Luke make it more clear that it was Matthew's house, that, that this party happened. But verse 10 says, Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. That's all it says in Matthew. But Mark and Luke make it clear it's Matthew's house where they went. Uh, and so the tax collectors and sinners came and began dining with Jesus and his Pharisees. And when the Pharisees said this, they said, Why is your tax collector eating with, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, and, and he goes on. Well, why did Matthew have tax collectors and sinners at his house? Because he wanted to throw a party. I met Jesus. You guys come here. You can meet him too. And so his friends came to the party. And his friends are defined as tax collectors and sinners. Now, don't even tax collectors do that? When tax collectors throw a party, other tax collectors come. Because other tax collectors get along with other tax collectors. And sinners get along with sinners. And by the way, those of you who are recent, re, fairly recent in your walk with Christ have the greatest ability to reach sinners because you have the most contact with them. <laughs> They're the ones who will best see the change that's happened in your life. They're the ones who might say, what has happened to you? People don't ask me that. I've been a believer for 45 years. Right? Yeah, amen. I mean, I'm not complaining. <laughs> but people don't ask me what happened to me. You know, wow, Steve, you've changed. Right? It's, it's not like that. Um, but you people are going to ask. They're going to see the difference. They're going to ask, what has gone on? And you can tell them it was Jesus. Matthew has the ability to do that. But, but that's kind of on the side from this. Uh, he is an example that, that uh, even the tax collectors do that. Right? He says, so what if you, if you help each other? Even the Gentiles do that. Right? Tax collectors do it. Gentiles do it. Everybody has friends. If you're only nice to your friends, big deal. If you are nice to your friends and everybody likes their friends, then you're being like everybody. Jesus says, don't be like everybody. Be like your Father who is in heaven. 
bear that family resemblance. Look like him. He does it for everybody. So what does loving your enemies look like? Well, go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan just real quickly. I'm, you know, uh, we're not going to turn there, but I'm hoping you know the story well enough. If not, you can find it in Luke. Uh, I don't even have the chapter written down, so uh, you'll have to find it. Uh, you can find it in Luke, but in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he, you know, the, the couple people walking by him, uh, the, the wounded man, the Good Samaritan stops, and he helps him out, and what did he do? He stopped, he wrapped his wounds, he loaded him up, he took him to the inn, he said, I'll pay for you to cover his, his, his knees till he gets back. That's what he's talking about. Here's a man who was presumably an enemy, acting as a neighbor, and Jesus says he was a neighbor because he acted like a neighbor. And, and he was presumably an enemy, but he didn't do that. Uh, he treated him as he would a neighbor. You see your neighbor on the side of the road, beat up and whatever, you stop and you help your neighbor because he's your neighbor. And you, you, you will even sacrifice to help your neighbor because he's your neighbor. And we say, oh, no, you're going too far. I might help this guy. I might call the police to help him out or the emergency people, but I'm not actually doing anything. No, he says, help your neighbor, help your enemy the same way you'd help your neighbor. Uh, I think the answer lies in this good Sam, who was neighbor, not an enemy, is in your not seeing yourself as anybody's enemy but in seeing yourself as everybody's neighbor uh, and, and praying for them and doing for them regardless of what they would do for you. Not looking back and saying, well, he wouldn't help me, so I'm not helping him. Right? Human nature, shove that aside. We're not to ha have human nature. We're to look like our Father, who is where? In heaven. Right? Beyond human nature. That's what he calls us to have. And, and I want to, again, quickly, look at the last verse in this section. Uh, Verse 48, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's Jesus' final word on the subject. And I don't think it's Jesus' final word on just uh, the love your neighbor or love your enemy. Uh, not don't just love your neighbor, but love your enemy. It might be his final word on the again you have heards, but I say section. And he might be going all the way back to the start of the Beatitudes, right? And he's summing it all up by saying... Uh, be perfect as your Father, Heavenly Father, is perfect. Show yourself to be children of your Father. Right? Recognize these words for what they are, by the way. Uh, they are not words of condemnation because we fall short. Right? The, the goal of this is not so that you look at yourself and say, Oh, man, I've been hating this person. I'm such a loser. You know? Because you might be able to do that. And you, you might, but that's not the purpose. That's not what Jesus is trying to do. He's not trying to lay down a guilt, argument, a guilt burden here. And they're not words of salvation. That if you can do all these things, then you can go to heaven. Right? That's not what he's saying either. The, I think the, he is giving us words to establish a goal of who we want to be when we grow up. <laughs> yeah. Who do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be like my father. Right? We, all, we all, at some point or another, pattern ourselves after somebody and say, I'm going to do what he does. You know, I, I thought of... Uh, I'm, I'm not the world's greatest handyman, but I do okay. And when I'm working on something and I get over my head, uh, used to be I'd sit there and I'd struggle and struggle and try to figure it out. And sometimes I'll go to other help, but, but I'll, I'll stop and I'll think, what would Warren have done here? What would Greg have done here? And when I say, what would Warren have done here? What would Greg have done here? All of a sudden I know. Oh, that's what he would have done here. And I do it and it works. Because Steve can't figure it out, but Steve can follow the model of someone else, and all of a sudden Steve understands, even if they're not there. I can follow the model, right? 
Our Heavenly Father, what would he do in this situation? Right? We, we seek to be like him, someone you aspire to be like. Uh, well, here's what God would have you do. He says, I love everybody. You're my child. Therefore, love everybody. I want to bless everybody. Therefore, want to bless everybody. Good, bad, friend, or foe. Model your life after him. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that, that uh, Lord, none of us will pretend to be perfect. But, Father, let us aspire to be perfect. Let us set our sight high and seek to be like you. And, and right today, we look at loving our enemies. Help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.